Church, let me invite you to open the scriptures uh, with me again today to Mark's gospel as we continue our message series there. Uh, The second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John will be in Mark chapter 6 again this week, finishing out uh, that chapter. But before we look at the scriptures this morning, I want to share an article uh, with you that I came across uh, in the last few days. Uh, And this article is from the Babylon Bee. Uh, which some of you uh, may be familiar with. The Babylon Bee is your source uh, for Christian news satire. Um, And so that being said, uh, this is a fake news uh, uh, site, a comical news site that uses irony and satire, exaggeration, uh, in order to to drive home a point. Uh, But listen to this article entitled, uh, New Bible with Perforated Pages Announced. New Bible with perforated pages announced uh, from Grand Rapids, Michigan, stating the new edition of the scriptures would allow Christians to remove doctrines, verses, and entire books of the Bible they find unpopular or inconvenient. Zondervan Publishing announced Wednesday a new Bible with micro-perforated, completely removable pages. Don't like some of the heavy-handed calls to repentance. Uh, Whether in the New Testament or the Old, uh, now you can just rip that page right out, a representative for the publisher said in an over-the-phone interview. If you're reading through an epistle and the author calls you to the carpet on one of your pet sins, uh, you can just crumple that page up and toss it right in the trash. Uh, The bottom line is, uh, if you stumble across a snippet of the word that's hard for you to swallow, uh, now you can just get rid of it. The rep added, Zondervan further claimed that internal tests showed a massive improvement in the devotional lives of users of the Bible who reported that they enjoyed the Word of God more than ever. Uh, People are far more likely to daily pick up their Bible if they know it's not going to convict them of their sin, make them uncomfortable, or confront their faulty thinking on an issue. The NIV perforated Bible makes that dream into a reality. According to the rep, the Bible will also ship with a quick start guide for Christians of different theological persuasions, indicating that pages they should, indicating which pages they should remove uh, right away. Now, this is, uh, as I said, a false uh, article. This is this is not uh, a legitimate item that is uh, out there for sale. Uh, So let's not uh, promote that there is such a thing. But this does get at the mentality uh, of many in the world today. It's sort of picking and choosing of of what we want to believe. I'll take a little bit of of Jesus and a little bit of something else and a little bit of what I think and mix it all together and I'll have uh, the perfect uh, religion for me. And is such an approach uh, legitimate? Uh, You know, the Bible is a mysterious book. It is a fairly complex book containing 66 books comprised of two testaments or two covenants that at times feel as if they are at odds uh, with each other. We don't don't read uh, the practical instructions of Paul in the same way that we would read uh, the account of Noah uh, and the ark. If you're one who grew up in church, you may feel as if uh, in 
In church, you were taught the stories of the Old Testament, but the theology of the New. How are we to piece all of this together? How does God change before and after the coming of Jesus? Does God change? How can we make sense of who He is and who Jesus is in light of who He is? Well, I think that's part of our task for uh, this morning as we open the Scriptures. And I think Mark helps us uh, to that end. So we continue our message series from Mark's Gospel, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of a different approach today. Uh, We will look at a number of texts, or I'll certainly reference a number of texts, uh, but Mark chapter 6 will be our home base, uh, and we want to determine what are some foundational truths about who God is, uh, and then make sense of who Jesus is in light of of that. So as you find your place in Mark chapter 6, let me invite you once again to join me standing Uh, for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 31, and there the Scriptures read this way. Then, because so many people were coming and going that uh, the disciples did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something, uh, buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37, but Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to Have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Uh, Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. Verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. 
And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Father, we ask you now to lead us uh, by the presence and the power of your Spirit and rightly understanding the truths of your Word. Lord, give us wisdom, give us clarity of, of mind and thought. Lead us that we might faithfully serve and follow Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So news about Jesus is spreading. He's become quite the figure in his day, in the height of his ministry. Some reject him, but others are enthralled by him. Jesus is performing miracles, and he's teaching with a wisdom and a power unlike any other they've seen. And the crowds are wowed by him. In fact, so much so that Jesus and his disciples uh, depart to get away to a solitary place uh, to spend some time alone, perhaps for Jesus to spend some time investing in his disciples. And the crowds get wind of it and they beat him there. They show up. The crowds and others, the disciples even, are having to answer the question, who is this? Who is this man? A question that that every uh, one who encounters Jesus must answer, who is Jesus? Who is God? Does God want us to be confused? Does He want us to be left in the dark? No, certainly He does not, for God is a God who shepherds His people. Church, according to the Scriptures, God shepherds His people. He is a faithful shepherd. He, He is our guide. He is our leader. He longs to lead us. Prophet Ezekiel spoke on behalf of God during a a difficult time in Israel's history. A time in which the pagan people, the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, were coming in and defeating the southern kingdom of Judah and taking many Israelites away into captivity. And through Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34, God expresses his dissatisfaction with the rulers of his people. Calling the king's shepherds, he says, I'm not pleased with those who've been given the task of shepherding my people. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds in darkness, same chapter, Ezekiel 34, verse 31, the Lord says, You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. Or as God says, I- I'm going to lead you as my people. I'm going to shepherd you. God shepherds His people. He leads His people. An image that certainly recalls that famous psalm, the words of King David, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. God is a God who shepherds His people. Now why is that significant? Well, that's the background uh, through which uh, faithful Jews, devout Jews, religious Jews, who would have read Mark's Gospel, would have read this passage. makes it a bit more gripping when 
We read in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus began teaching them many things. You see, Jesus is the compassionate shepherd. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the central figure of Mark's gospel and the other gospel writers, this one is the compassionate shepherd. The word used here for compassion in Mark 6.34 implies that Jesus was stirred with emotion for the crowds. He looked with pity on the crowds. He longed to lead and to guide and to provide for the crowds. It's a word that's only used in the New Testament of Jesus. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who fulfills the, the shepherd of Psalm 23 perfectly. The shepherd is a provider and a protector, a feeder, a caregiver, and a leader. Do you follow the shepherd? Friends, do you follow the shepherd? Are you following the one who is the compassionate shepherd? As the compassionate shepherd, Jesus portrays the heart of God. God shepherds his people. And he does so, one way he does so is by providing food for them in the desert. God of the scriptures is a God who provides food in the desert. Remember the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, wandering in the desert. As God was humbling them and preparing them, testing them, preparing them uh, to enter into the promised land. While they're wandering there in the desert, God provides for them in a miraculous way. Like we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, we read Moses speaking to the Israelites on behalf of God. And there the scriptures read this way, he humbled you. God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, as the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, the Lord provided for their needs. He provided for them physically with, with manna, with bread from heaven, and with quail, with meat in the desert, day after day, miraculously providing for them physically, but also sustaining them spiritually with His presence and, and with His Word. God provides food in, in the desert. There's another story in the Old Testament, a lesser known uh, story, but a fascinating story about God uh, miraculously providing uh, for His people. So let me invite you to hold your place in Mark chapter 6 and turn with me uh, in God's Word to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, near the beginning of uh, the Word of God as we as we have it. You've got First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, but First uh, Kings 17 uh, describes some of the ministry of the prophet Elijah, a great prophet who uh, prophesied uh, during the reign of King Ahab. King Ahab was a, a wicked king who disobeyed the Lord, and as a result of his and, and others' disobedience, the Lord sent a drought, a famine on the land. 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 1. Hear this story. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 
There's going to be a famine, a drought, no rain for multiple years. Verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So Elijah did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Miraculously, incredibly, the Lord provided for Elijah during a period of drought, sending the ravens to provide bread and meat. But it gets even better. Verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, no more water. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So Elijah went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a a piece of bread. Verse 12, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. In other words, this widow says, I don't have anything. The drought is so severe. All I have is a little bit of flour in a jar, a little bit of olive oil. I'm gathering sticks now to, to make a final meal for myself and my son that we might that we might die. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. But the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Incredible, fascinating story. That this little bit of flour that this widow has and this little bit of oil never runs out. Day after day, the Lord provides for her needs. God provides food in the desert. Once again, this is the backdrop from which those Jews who met Jesus and interacted with Jesus would have seen Him. Perhaps, perhaps most of them didn't make the connection between these stories and what Jesus was doing, but certainly, surely some of Mark's original readers, Jews who were familiar with these stories of God's Word, would have made the connection when Mark emphasizes three times that that the crowds here are led away into a desolate place, a remote place, a solitary place. This is a desert-like place. Surely some of them would have understood that Jesus is the one who provides. That Jesus is the one who provides for them. As God provided manna and quail in the wilderness, Jesus provides for the crowds on the banks of the sea. Jesus looks on them with compassion and He provides them the Word of God. He began teaching them many things, Mark 6, 34. And then He breaks bread and multiplies 
fish. And the disciples pass out the food. In verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus is the one who provides. Are you receiving his provision? Friends, are you receiving the provision that that God extends to you through Jesus, to, to you and to me? Are you receiving the provision of the compassionate shepherd? The Jesus who provides. Sure, food to eat, water to drink, clothes to wear, shelter over your head, but even more so, the bread of life and the living water, forgiveness for your sins and life everlasting. Jesus is the one who provides just as God provides for his people in the desert. Church, another truth that we see in the scriptures concerning who God is, is this, that that God displays his might and his glory. God displays his might and his, his glory. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord reminds his people of who he is and what he's done. Isaiah 43, verses 16 and 17. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army, and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. In other words, the God of the Scriptures is the one who who makes a way through the sea. He is the one who made a way through the Red Sea and allowed His people of Israel to pass through unhurt. He is the one who has power and authority over the armies of the world. He is the King of kings. He is the the one who rules all creation. Job knew this about God. Job knew God. Job struggled to make sense of, of why God was allowing him to experience such pain, such suffering in this life. At the end of the day, he could only, he could only accept that truth by recognizing that, that God was above him. God's ways are not our ways. Job said this in Job chapter 9, verse 8. He said, God alone stretches out the heavens. God alone stretches out the heavens and God alone treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When God passes me, I cannot see Him. When He goes by, I cannot perceive Him. In other words, God is beyond me. God alone is the one who can walk upon the water. God alone is is the ruler of nations. He is the one who rules over all. There is none like Him. And, And this is why when the disciples see Jesus walking toward them on the water, they're terrified. They're fearful for their lives. They know that this is not normal human activity. No mere man can do this. And to top it off, when Jesus steps in the boat with them, the wind immediately dies down. The wind ceases, the water calms. Clearly, this one, this Jesus, controls the sea. His power is is limitless. For He is the maker and ruler over all. Jesus is the maker and ruler over all. He is not merely a prophet. 
No, his actions are God's actions. It's interesting, I think, that this miracle is really unlike the other miracles that we read about, about Jesus. But Jesus performs a number of miracles, all of which attest to who he is, all of which uh, attest to uh, his identity. But this particular miracle, walking on the water, he's not responding to a need. There's no exorcism. There's no uh, healing. There's no provision of food. He's simply displaying his might and his glory. He wants his disciples to see who he is and to respond by recognizing that he alone is God. Jesus is the maker and ruler over all. Will you serve him? Church, will you serve him? Paul describes himself in his letter to the Philippians as a servant of Christ Jesus. Will you serve him? The kings are not normally servants, and servants are not normally kings. But, but this one, he is the servant king. Jesus is the servant king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, and yet he is the greatest servant of all. There's no greater joy, friends, than knowing him and, and serving him. Will you serve him? One of the most mind-boggling truths to me, conveyed in the scriptures as is that this mighty God, the eternal God, almighty creator and sustainer of life, comes near to us and he comforts us. God comforts the troubled by identifying himself to us. God comforts us by identifying himself. He he, he reveals himself to us. He declares who he is to us. Creator of plants and planets, of birds and mammals, reptiles and fish, human life. One who knows us fully also wants to be known by us. And longs to comfort us by identifying himself to us, by revealing himself to us. Remember the story of God appearing to to Moses in the wilderness. Speaking to Moses in the burning bush, God appears to Moses and begins talking with him and says, I've got a plan for you. I I want you to go back to Egypt and to confront Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to lead my people out of, of slavery in Egypt. And naturally, this is not something that Moses is too excited about. He fears the Lord, but he also fears Pharaoh. And he wonders perhaps how he's going to convince some one million Israelites to follow him out of Egypt into the desert. Headed toward the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 3 records this account. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. In other words, Moses is going to require some more convincing, but but God begins to comfort him by identifying himself to him, saying that I am Yahweh. 
This is who I am. I, I, I am the one who is. I am God. And I'll go with you. I will be with you. And likewise, when the disciples see Jesus walking on the sea, passing by, and they're terrified, Jesus comforts them by identifying themselves. Mark chapter 6, verse 50, he says, don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Perhaps, perhaps an intentional allusion to the burning bush encounter. For the literal translation of the Greek, translated it as I, is ego a me, I am. I am. Jesus implying that he is the God who is, that he is Yahweh incarnate. And certainly he'll go on to make this connection much more explicit through the I am statements recorded in John's gospel, which is why the religious rulers of the day were so upset with him. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I I am the way and the truth and the life. I, I, I am the bread of life. And Jesus would rightly make this connection, for Jesus is God with us. Church, this Jesus is God with us. Isaiah and Matthew said it this way, that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. You know, from time to time I hear someone say something like, uh, I I believe in the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament seems so uh, harsh at times and out of touch. Or perhaps something like, I I look at the red letters, I... I like what Jesus does and says. I believe in Jesus. Isn't that good enough? And church, I hope you do. I do too. I believe in in Jesus. But I think what Mark is helping us see by putting this encounter here together in this way with these intentional echoes of the Old Testament, he is helping us see that the God of the Scriptures is not a God who evolves. He is not a God who has spent a lot of time trying to improve himself in the human relations department. No, he is the same God yesterday and today and forever. He is immutable. His character is unchanging. Jesus is that one incarnate. He is that God, the only God, taking on human flesh and coming to us. God of the old is in the new. He comes to us as Jesus and He lays down His life for us. God has made Himself more fully known to us through Jesus. And through Jesus, He accomplishes salvation for us. God achieves His redemptive mission as Jesus. Church, that's the story of the Gospel. The the one and only God Almighty maker of heaven and earth, eternal king of kings and lord of lords, achieves his redemptive mission, his saving mission to save us from our sins as Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the set time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, this was God's plan. From the creation of the world, he 
knew that we would need a Savior, and he planned long ago to send his Son, the eternal Son of God and second person of the Trinity, to us to save us from our sins. In Jesus, God is here. In Jesus, God has come. Friends, receive him, follow him, and serve him. Receive, follow, and serve him. Receive the salvation of Jesus. Follow Jesus as Lord and serve Jesus as king. For in March Day, many, many miss this. Many still miss this today. Many have not and do not receive him. But in the words of John, John chapter 1, verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God children of God, reconciled to God the Father through Jesus. Friends, I'm a child of God. How about you? Receive, follow, and serve Him. Father, we thank You for Your living Word, Your eternal Word. We thank You for the truths found in it. Father, I pray that you would continually shape us through your word, by the presence and power of your spirit. Father, we thank you that you are a mighty God. That you are one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and even so, you are a God who loves us unconditionally. Father, a God who loves us and extends salvation to us through Jesus. Father, help us to respond to you and the truths of your word now and and daily as your people in a way that glorifies you. Lord, lead us to know and, and, and follow you. Lead us to serve Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.